Ah, uh, yes, uh, please, uh, please sit down. Uh, Rodrigo, I've called you into my office uh, for a very important meeting here. Uh, now, Rodrigo, I want to let you know that we here at uh, Halloween Store Corporation really appreciate the work you've done for us, uh, photographing, um, photographing our costume models for our catalog. Uh, but there's... We need you to reshoot uh, some of your photographs. They are not, uh, they're not currently acceptable for our public image. Hey, man, uh, what, uh, what do you mean? Come on, man. Uh, I felt like I did a really good job shooting, uh, shooting those photos of, uh, of the kids in their costumes. It was, uh, it was, uh, it was good stuff. It was good stuff. Uh, yes, no, for the most part, most of your, um, most of your pictures are quite well done and tasteful. Um, but, however, we here at, uh, Halloween Costume Corporation, uh, have a certain problem with a specific set of your photos that we, um, we're gonna need you to reshoot, and we're not interested in hearing, um, why you don't, why you shot them this way or anything. We need you to reshoot them. What, uh, what's, what's the matter? What's the matter with my pictures, man? Okay, Rodrigo, let me, I'm going to put this bluntly. You see, so let's look at this first picture here. Yes, you see this, uh, nice Black Panther costume. Yes, that we sell. Uh, what do you think's wrong with this picture? I, I don't know, man. Uh, I thought, like, uh, uh, Kevin was killing it. He had, he had major Black Panther energy. I could feel it, uh, seeping off of him. All right, now, so, Rodrigo, the thing is here is that, um, the costume does not fully cover the model's body, so it is very plain to the eye that this is a white child uh, in, that you have uh, photographed in the Black Panther costume. So we're going to need you to, you know, reshoot it with, you know, an African-American model. Can you can you do that for us, Rodrigo? It's it's not... We don't think it's a big ask. What, what do you mean? I don't, I don't understand the problem. I thought, like, Kevin had that killer Black Panther energy. You know, like, real... You know, like, real... Jungle cat murder energy, you know? I thought he was great for the part. Okay, first of all, it's it's not really a part. Uh, second of all, um, Black... I'm not sure you're aware of this, but Black Panther is an African superhero. He is from the continent of Africa in the fictional country of Wakanda. And uh, he is, uh, you know, black. Uh Black Panther, named after the, by artist Jack Kirby, naming him after the uh, Black Panther Party in the in America during the 60s. Uh, it's, it's a very black character, and I fe and we here at Halloween Store Costume Corporation believe that um, African Americans will not be happy if you make him white. So we're going to ask you to reshoot this photo. Hey, man, what, I, don't, I don't know if I understand the problem. Please, Rodrigo, there's... We're going to need you to also reshoot uh, Cyborg, Static, Icon, uh, John Stewart, Green Lantern, the Halle Berry Catwoman costume, and the Storm from X-Men costume. Uh, in fact, we're going to need you to reshoot every single black uh, superhero, and we're going to ask you to use an African-American model to shoot those those photos. What, what, 
well, I don't, I don't understand the problem. I thought those kids really were killing it in those parts. Rodrigo, you're not listening to me here. Um, what I'm saying is you, you shot every single black hero with a white child. And you shot every single white hero also with a white child. It's looking like you didn't want to shoot any of the photographs with black children, Rodrigo, and it's a really bad look for our company. And we're gonna ask you to go back and reshoot them with African-American models instead of white children. Can you do that for us, Rodrigo? Because frankly, when I look at it like this, it's looking pretty intentional. You get me? Do you get me, Rodrigo? We need you to just do this for us, okay? Okay? Can you do that, Rodrigo? Okay, now, uh, like, hear me out here for just a second. Let me throw you a compromise. Rodrigo, we are not interested in compromise. Let me, hear me out. I keep all those pictures as they are, but I reshoot Superman with an African-American kid. You are fired. Welcome to the show. Hello, welcome back to Ruben Uncut. Today, we will be talking about African-American superheroes in comic books and what's all, and all that jazz. Now this is, will not be an extensive deep dive of any kind. This is more of an, an overview. I hope that this makes you interested in wanting to learn more and go out and look into African-American characters and comic book creators. And am I recording this in February? Sure. Was I going to record this anyways? Yes. Did I just happen to think, hey, it lines up well with February? Maybe. Maybe. But, like, this is the kind of stuff we should talk about all year round and not just in February. That being said, happy Black History Month. Maybe we should, you know, think about Black History more than once a month. Continuing along before I get too lost in the sauce. I should look up what lost in the sauce actually means before I use it again. All right, where was I? <clears throat> so yes, so let's, t I want to talk a little bit about the history of African-American uh, representation in comics. Now, uh, specifically comic books. So this is, there will be um, quite a bit of mention of, of racism in this, in this thing. So if that makes you uncomfortable, then maybe you need to get start getting used to the idea that America had a lot of fucking racism in its history. And that sometimes you have to acknowledge that. Otherwise, it's like you're trying to pretend like bad shit wasn't done, and we don't learn from history that way. So, uh, deal with it? I don't know. Um, but anyways, so... A argument I, an argument I see online all the time has to do with the race bending of superheroes in comic book movies, television, video game adaptations, and, and whatnot. 
Now, the thing about that is, is that I, is that it's, there's a reason we do so much turning white characters into other races. And the reason for that is, is actually quite simple. You see, most superheroes, a large portion of the most well-known and successful superheroes were created between the golden age of comics, which starts from 1939 and goes to the end of World War II, and this and the Silver Age of comics that extends into the from the late 50s into the basically through mo, through a portion of the 60s. Okay, and so the thing about those times is that during those times, publishers genuinely believed, and actually were right to a certain extent, <clears throat> that if they started putting black people in their comic books, that Southerners would not buy them. Now, it, it is worth noting that when they did start putting African Americans in their comics, there were drop-offs in numbers, from the South. However, after a period of time, people got used to it and those sales renormalized. Something. Uh, so that's fun fact right there. Um, but moving right along. So that means is that there's a huge portion of time where superheroes and villains and characters in general were being created in a time when publishers just straight up didn't want to put black people in their comics and it was it was so bad that there's that you can find that they that marvel comics put out an adaptation of the movie dr no which is a james bond film for those not familiar that happens to a portion of the film takes place in jamaica and so marvel put out a comic where jamaica was populated entirely with white people so that's 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 actually like pretty scary levels of race erasure. <laughs> that's like it that's like changing a that's like changing a character that's like changing a character's race in your in your movie so that China will allow you to release it there. Uh, but moving right along. <clears throat> so that means that there was this huge period of time where the representation of African-American characters in comic books was almost zero. And the representation that did exist was not good. In fact, one of the, one of the earliest mainstream representations of an African-American character was in the classic comic book series Captain Marvel, um, who you now may know more as Shazam because of wacky copyright shit. Uh, but, so, in these early issues of Captain Marvel, a.k.a. Shazam, there was a storyline where Billy Batson ends up with a slave. Like, a literally, it, just a, a black character that follows him around and is it a horrific depiction of stereotypical physical features and dressed like they literally just came off an island, you know, with like 
uh, grass-based skirt, although not like the Hawaiian grass-based skirt. It's like yellowish, ugly. I, I should pull up a picture before I go into too much description of it, otherwise I'm going to describe it wrong. But the point is, is bad. Is real bad. Is a terrible, awful, fucking racist depiction. It's super bad. However, this part of this, this tiny story does have a happy ending, which is that it was so bad that Tons of kids wrote into the comic to say, hey, we think this is fucking racist. <laughs> we don't like this. And guess what? Some of those kids were white. That's right. Children, who, the children of the 1940s, got together and wrote a bunch of letters saying, hey, this is really not cool. And so... And so the creator of Captain Marvel came out and he denied everything. No, I'm kidding. He actually said that the children were right to put him in his place and that he would change it. Now, I'm not saying necessarily the creator of Captain Marvel, a.k.a. Shazam, uh, stopped being racist after that moment. He probably didn't. <laughs> but he at least was intelligent and respectful enough to be like, ah, I guess that wasn't cool of me to do. Uh, or at least, you know, wanted those kids to keep buying his fucking comic. I'm going to open a fizzy water right now, in case you heard that noise. All right. Ah, delicious salt water. Um, anyways, where was I? All right. So... The representation during that time period was kind of a lot like that. The only other mainstream one that I'm aware of at this time was, uh, was in fact a, a character created for the spirit. Um, this what's interesting about this character is it's one of those things where at the time it was a progressive move to even include him, but as the lens of history moves on, we look back at this character and we're like, oh my god, that character was racist. Um, Will Eisner, uh, great guy, created the spirit, absolutely revolutionary comic, uh, but it did have, uh, ah, crap, what was his name? Oh, can't wait, I'm Googling this shit, because I, I feel like I need to know at least this, uh, you gotta at least know who this guy is. Because he is significant historically. Ebony White. His name was Ebony White. And um, he is... He is not a great representation of African Americans. His characteristics, the way he's drawn, is... Like, only marginal steps up from other racist-looking cartoons from its time period. With his character... Like, literally, he's only a marginally better representation. He's, I mean, like, if, if you put him next to the African-American, the African character from Captain Marvel, then he looks hella less racist. But the point is that he pretty clearly racist by today's standards. But at the time... He was technically a strong supporting character who, even though he fell into a lot of unfortunate stereotypes, 
both in the way he was drawn and occasionally the way he talked and the way he talked and the way he acted, he was still technically a more progressive choice for the time than the other representation. That being said, it is also worth noting that this character specifically exists in the comics because the Spirit comic was not published on the standard newsstands, but was in fact a comic book that came inside of a newspaper. Therefore, it was more of a regional distribution in the North. And they were not concerned with whether or not the South was going to buy their newspapers because they had this comic. And if they did start selling the, their paper in the, in the South, they could easily take it out. Anyways. Anyways, let's go forward to the 50s. Now, in the 50s, the same rules basically still applied. However, there was one interesting genre of, of fiction that was beginning to, that was opening up in this regard. There, both Marvel and DC at the time, although Marvel was not called Marvel at this time, they would, that wasn't something they would be called until around the 60s, I believe, ended up, um, both had some African-American representation in their titles, although it's worth noting that these were not superhero titles. During the 1950s, superheroes were significantly less popular, with only the biggest names really surviving that period, people like Batman and Superman, with most of DC's other superheroes getting canceled or sidelined, and Marvel struggling to put any superheroes into consistent circulation at all. However, both publishers were finding success with war comics. War, Western, and crime comics, excuse me, were extremely popular during this period of time. And, and for whatever reason, it was deemed acceptable and okay to have African Americans in war comics. Maybe because there, they felt like enough Americans had served in World War II to know that you know, you fought alongside African Americans in World War II. So both uh, the Howling Commandos and Sergeant Rock uh, both featured an African American member of their military teams. And this was the major African American representation of the 50s in all of uh, DC and Marvel's comics. Oof, right. Then, then we got to the 60s and superheroes were back in vogue. Now the 60s, the 60s though, started to see a change. Specifically at Marvel, where artist Jack Kirby had decided that he really thought that they needed black superheroes. And so, black superheroes started to be a thing. Now, who was the first African-American superhero in a mainstream comic? Also, wait, actually, real quick before I get into this, I should specify this. Um, I keep using the term mainstream for a reason. 
And that is because is that there were comics and comic books produced for black-owned newspapers and Af African-American-owned newspapers and comic book companies. Um, do I know a lot about those? I do not, because the, historic, the number of historical references for them is significantly limited compared to the... Uh, compared to those of quote-unquote mainstream published comic books and successes. Um, so, that, so that is a thing. And maybe I will be able to get off my ass and do some research into that to be able to talk more on that specifically. Um, but in my more generalized research, it's just something... They are, those stories are just not captured historically nearly as much. So maybe that's a thing society should do better. Anyways, <clears throat> where was I? <clears throat> so yes, so the 60s. Now, there could be some debate as to who is the first African-American superhero uh, published in mainstream comics. Um, if you want to go by strict chronology, there is the argument made for a character known as Iron from the Metal Men, which is a comic published by uh, DC. However, I will say that this is a, a questionable first nod on a certain level. Um, because while Iron is drawn to appear African American, technically none of the Metal Men are human. They are androids. So how African-American you count this character to be is uh, questionable. He is technically kind of African-American representation, but also not technically actually African-American. You know, kind of like how Jazz from Transformers is the African-American Transformer, even though, you know, he's... a just a robot. Whew. Uh, the, the point is, is that this is a very debatable first representation. Um, so, so yeah. Very debatable. There, the fi oh man, wait, I almost forgot. We gotta talk about this. I'm gonna have to pull up some Google because I wanna get this right for you. Um, Okay, hold on. All right, so I got to tell you about this. This is technically not superhero stuff, but it is black comic book stuff. All right, so... So in the 19... So I got to tell you a little bit about... So in the 1950s, uh, comic books got censored. Um, they, the Comics Code Authority was created to fight deviancy created from comic books, supposedly... And so they set about basically censoring stuff. And one of the most messed up things they ever censored was a story called Judgment Day that was to be published in Weird Fantasy number 18. I'm going to read you the, the Wikipedia now, but I'll probably throw in some swears to make it sound more like me. All right. Judgment Day. Gaines waged a number of battles with the Comics Code and authority in an attempt to keep his magazine free from censorship. In one particular example noted by comics historian Digby Dell, 
Deal? Deal? I don't know. Uh, Gaines threatened Judge Charles Murphy, the Comics Code administrator, with a lawsuit when Murphy ordered EC to alter the science fiction story Judgment Day in Incredible Science Fiction number 33, February 1956. The story by writer Al Feldstein and artist Joe Orlando was reprinted from a pre-code Weird Fantasy 18 from 1953. In Inserted when Code Authority had rejected an initial original story idea called An Eye for an Eye, drawn by Angelo Torres, but itself also objected to because of the central character being black. The story depicted human astronaut representatives to the Galactic Republic visiting the planet Cybrinia, Cybrinia, inhabited by robots. He finds the robots divided into two functionally identical orange and blue races, one of which has fewer rights and privileges than the other. The astronaut determines that due to the robots' bigotry, the Galactic Republic should not admit the planet until these problems are resolved. In the final panel, he removes his helmet, revealing himself to be black. Murphy demanded, without, without any authority in the code, that the black astronaut had to be removed. As Deal recounted in Tales from the Crypt, the official archives. This really made him go bananas in the Code Czar's office. Judge Murphy was off his nut. He was really out to get us, recalls EC editor Feldstein. I went in there with this story, and Murphy says it can't be a black man. But that's the, but, but that's the whole point of the story, Feldstein sputtered. When Murphy continued to insist that the black man had to go, Feldstein put it on the line. Listen, he told Murphy, you've been rioting us and making it impossible to put out anything at all because you guys just want us out of business. Feldstein reported the result to his audience, the results of his audience with Zara to Gaines, who was furious and immediately picked up the phone and called Murphy. This is ridiculous, he bellowed. I'm going to call a press conference on this. You have no grounds, no basis to do this. I'll sue you, Murphy. Murphy made what he surely thought was a gracious concession. All right, just just take off the beads of sweat. At that, Gaines and Feldstein both went ballistic. Fuck you, they shouted into the telephone in unison. Murphy hung up on them, but the story ran in its original form. Feldstein's interviewed for the book Tales of Terror, the EC Companion reiterated his recollection of Murphy making the request. So he said it can't be, black, can't be a black person. So I said, for God's sakes, Judge Murphy, that's the whole point of the goddamn story. So he said, no, it can't be, it can't be a black. Bill Gaines just called him up later and raised the roof. And finally they said, we got to take the perspiration off. And I had the stars glistening in the perspiration on this black skin. Bill said, fuck you, and he hung up. Although the, that reprinted story did not run uncensored, Incredible Science Fiction 33 was the last EC comic book to be published. Gaines switched his focus to EC's picto-fiction titles, a line of typeset black-and-white magazines with heavily illustrated stories. Fiction was formatted to alternate illustrations with blocks of typeset text, and some of the contents were rewrites of stories previously published in EC's comic books. The experimental line lost money from the start and only lasted two issues per title. When EC's national distributor went bankrupt, Gaines dropped all of this, all of his titles, except MAD. That's Mad Magazine, by the way. So, it's not technically about superheroes, but it is an incredible story. 
of this incredibly fucked up moment in what is either, well, actually more likely a combination of, of racism and bureaucrats trying to crush small com trying to crush companies. Actually, it was probably racism, and then when they called him on it, he wanted to make it try and make some kind of concession to look less racist or something. I don't know. Sorry. I had to do that before I hit the 60s. All right, well, we're going to talk about the 60s now. All right, so the 60s are big, and the 60s are big for a very specific reason, because the 60s were the decade where, where Jack, Jack Kirby at Marvel Comics was like, you know what, fuck this. We're making black superheroes, and he did. And, that, and many people, while it, well, there is some debate over who is the first technical black superhero, the first black superhero with their own ongoing comic is 100% for sure... Black Panther. That's right. The first ongoing comic book from a black superhero was Black Panther. Now, it is worth noting he's not... I don't think he's the longest... Hold on. How, let's make, let's double-check this. How many issues... How many issues of Black Panther volume... One are there. Okay. Okay, let's see here. Black Panther. Oh, sweet Jesus. Ah, uh, 15 issues. It ran for 15 issues. Oh, wait. 1970s. Oh, my bad. Okay, I got my timeline messed up. So Black Panther originally appeared in Fantastic Four. I'm sorry, that was an important note. My bad. I also I thought for sure that comic ran longer than 15 issues. Oh, that's messed up. I'm sorry. All right. So, but that is that is where Black Panther first showed up. In 1965, Black Panther appeared in uh, appeared in Fantastic Four. He was he was the first full-on black superhero at Marvel Comics, and it was a big, big deal. He was named, of course, after the Black Panther Party, um, because, you know, Jack Kirby was just woke like that. The thing is, Jack Kirby, uh, a Jewish man from the, the Bronx, I believe, would go on to be one of the, for his time kind of setting the bar. I mean, literally, this was the guy who was producing the most black superheroes into mainstream comics at the time. Because he made Black Panther. I'm sure he, he made some, I'm sure he made other characters at Marvel as well. But then, around the end of the 60s, Marvel was dicking him around. Jack Kirby couldn't get no respect at Marvel Comics. It was actually, it's actually one of the saddest stories there is, because the story of how Stan Lee ran off to Hollywood uh, and abandoned his friends at, to be at the mercy of corporate, corporate heads at Marvel, while Stan Lee got all the, the fame and adulation, and Steve Ditko and Jack Kirby got the shaft. Jack Kirby, in many ways, uh, in many ways was more screwed than Steve Ditko, but in many other ways was also at least 
more more six more he has also received more credit than Steve Ditko did. Uh, Jack Kirby um, Jack Kirby's work had been was being reused in Marvel comics. I'm sorry, Marvel cartoons and animation, and Jack Kirby wasn't getting any money for it. In fact, Jack Kirby wasn't getting any money for any of his creations at over at Marvel. They were pretty much being like, okay, no, yeah, you're the artist. Stan Lee wrote all this stuff. Uh, we're, we're gonna. So when it came time for that for for the new Marvel corporate heads to renegotiate the contracts for Steve Ditko and Jack Kirby, they went to him and basically like, oh yeah, we're we've decided we're just gonna give you uh, freelance rates, and they were like, are you kidding me? And J so Jack Kirby ended up getting a sweet deal from DC Comics. Where DC Comics was like, hey, Marvel's been kicking our asses in sales for a minute here. Uh, yeah, no, we'd love to bring you over here, Jack. You can, oh, and we'll give you a lot of creative freedom. And we'll let you do basically whatever you want. And if you want to write and draw your comics yourself, go ahead. You, it's going to be the Jack Kirby show over here at DC. Absolutely. And so Jack Kirby ended up going over to DC. Now Jack Kirby actually created a bunch of comics over at DC during this time period. But his most prominent work was in a little, a little series of connected stories that are now known as the Jack Kirby Fourth World series, series of stories. This was a story that spanned the pages of Four different comic books, all of which Jack Kirby was working on at the was working on at the time. And you know what else? But you know what all these comics have in common beyond just the fact that they were created by Jack Kirby? So they also Jack Kirby made sure he created a new African American character for every single one of these books. The first book he was put on was the was the. Uh, Superman's pal, Jimmy Olsen. And in this book, he went absolutely fucking bonkers with it. Like, he went out there. He started coming up with some wild stuff. And he got to write Superman and stuff. Uh, fun fact, the reason he got put onto this book uh, was because part of the deal was he had to take on at least one already being published DC comic. And he basically... Jack Kirby was a working kind of guy, and he hated the idea of taking work from other artists. So he said, I'll take whatever book doesn't already have a main team. And so they gave him Jimmy o Superman's pal Jimmy Olsen, and he just went nuts with it. One of the things he did was he brought back some characters he'd actually created in the 40s called the Newsboy Legion. Only now Jack Kirby brought back the Newsboy Legion, and Jack Kirby was like, you know what? The Newsboy Legion, it's not right that they're all white. We're getting a black Newsboy Legion guy. This is happening. Now, the Newsboy Legion, just so everyone knows, uh, are, are part of a very interesting subgenre of the superhero comics, which is the, the teen team. Um, technically speaking, this is not just in comics. It also, lots of Hanna-Barbera cartoons run off the teen team concept. Um, but basically, it's a series... It's a team of kids, normally either, normally mostly boys, or sometimes mixed, or there are a few more modern ones where it's, it's girl teams. But basically, 
the teen team typically consists of a series of tropes. Like you got your smart guy, your your funny guy, your fat guy, your muscle guy. <clears throat> sometimes the fat guy and the muscle guy are the same guy, and sometimes the fat guy and the funny guy are the same guy. But the point is, is that these tropes tend to line up in there. Uh, now, the thing was that the Newsboy Legion already had the main tropes. They didn't have a fat guy, but they had they had the brains, they had the brawn, they had the they had the nerd, they had the leader, they had your basic tropes. So when Jack Kirby sat down to be like, and someone with someone from the team producers are like, well, what's missing from the team? Jack Kirby's like, fuck you, I'll tell you what this team needs. They need, and prepare for it, this is DC Comics technically first, unless you count Iron, first African-American superhero. Flippa Dippa. That's right, Flippa Dippa. The member of the Fl Newsboy Legion whose power is, and I'm not making this up, scuba diving expert. He is a scuba diving expert. When, when Jack Kirby realized he was out of tropes, he was like, fuck you, he's good at scuba diving. <laughs> and so he introduced Flippa Dippa, technically the first African-American superhero at DC. But that wasn't the only African-American character he created across the Fourth World books, either. In the pages of Orion, he came up with a character called the Black Racer, which was a little bit of an F.U. to Silver Surfer, who Jack Kirby always felt like Stan Lee hijacked from him. <clears throat> this guy was kind of like the Silver Surfer, only, only he was essentially the New God's version of the Grim Reaper. Traveling the traveling the universe, uh, summoning summoning dead people to the afterlife. Now the interesting thing, though, was is that essentially the the Black Racer merges with an American with a with a human being uh, who is an African American a Vietnam vet who is fully paralyzed, like isn't a bed, can't move at all but when he merges with the black racer he gains the power to travel the entire cosmos on these skis as he reaps souls <laughs> honestly it's pretty wild and cool um oh no i'm forgetting oh right no obviously and then we're probably one of my favorite jack kirby creations he created a he created a he created a team of new god heroes, well, semi-new god heroes, uh, a team that actually kind of, in a way, makes, reminds me of, uh, reminds me of Guardians of the Galaxy in a weird way, but a team called the Forever People. And the Forever People, <clears throat> the Forever People are essentially bunch of humans who were at some point in their lives taken to new genesis where they were given all these powers and abilities and when they when they come together they can form uh in they can form infinity man and i, I i'm realizing as i'm describing this that the jack kirby kind of reused these some of these ideas uh when he created the eternals a few years later when he went back to marvel uh <laughs> but but so, but the point is, is that they have an African-American team member on their team. His name is Viking. 
or I'm sorry, Viking. Uh, in his original publishing, he was known as Viking the Black, uh, which, um, which like contextually is literally just the Norris way to say black, black Viking. But they have in recent years dropped it off because Viking the Black, even though it's meant to be using Norse like, <laughs> like Norse grammar, it still sounds fucking racist. Uh, so so they've dropped that part of his his name. Uh, but but so then the forever people who are essentially a bunch of uh, space hippies uh, who uh, who are trying to. Uh, to stop uh, Darkseid's invasion of Earth. In fact, that's actually all of what the the fourth world is about, is, is trying to prevent uh, Darkseid from coming to Earth and getting the anti-life equation, which, uh, even though it was changed numerous times in the comics and even in the Zack Snyder film, a fun fact, in the original version, is in the mind of a Japanese sumo wrestler. Uh, I'm not... <laughs> I'm not making that up. Uh... But, uh, but yeah, this quest for the anti-life and whatnot. The other book he created was uh, Miracle Man. Now, Miracle Man, it took a little bit longer for the African-American character to get in there. But eventually, uh, but eventually um, Scott Free and his wife Barda sort of adopt this African-American kid named Shiloh. And he becomes sort of like their, t uh, their like, ward sidekick character. Um, unfortunately, the series didn't last much longer after that, um, due to the fact that uh, Jack Kirby's Jack Kirby's work is very different than Stan Lee's. Stan, Jack Kirby's work is is more sort of epic, and it uses less naturalized dialogue, um, which naturalized dialogue and soap opera stuff was Stan Lee's jam, and Jack Kirby was more like epic cosmic trippy space shit um so these books didn't really receive the sales that were anticipated um but jack kirby would also continue to make a number of other comics for dc and in his time there including commandy uh, which is loosely based off of uh, planet of the apes uh only with multiple different types of dominant animals but but my point is, is that Jack Kirby rarely gets the credit he deserves for this, which is bringing African-Americans into the DC universe. Uh, and it's weird. It's weird that he doesn't. Normally, uh, frequently, some people who will, who will go nameless here uh, have, have published articles about how a character named Tyrock from the Legion of Superheroes comics was the first character that was the first african-american character in dc universe uh which is just blatantly not true it, it, he was several years after jack kirby these jack kirby's characters were created in 1970 and 71 this character came out in 1976 also tyrock not the best representation he was a, a black separatist because they wanted to create a story that explained why there weren't more African-Americans in the Legion of Superheroes, because the people who wrote Legion of Superheroes were like, you know, I really hope we've solved racism by the year 3000. By the year 3000. Uh, so they made an incredibly racist story about why there are no black people, and it's because they decided to, you know, just separate, which is 
not a good message for the future. So I don't really know where they were going with that. But that was a thing. So, so these are now DC also would shortly after this create a character called um, called uh, Black Lightning. Now, technically, here's a fun weird fact. Technically, Black Vulcan uh, from the Super Friends actually appeared before Black Lightning. Um, but arguably, Black Lightning is a better character. Although, they do have sort of eerie similarities. They're both, uh, they're both like black superheroes who have lightning-based powers. Fun weird fact, that is a very common power amongst black superheroes. For some uh, reason. I, I, I don't know exactly why that is. Uh, but lightning uh, associated with African-American superheroes. D don't know what that's about. Especially from DC. Like, DC publishes... DC has published at least... Well, technically more, because Black Lightning has uh, daughters who also have electric-based powers. So, so yeah, no. It's an interesting one to associate with them. Static, also, that's another one. Uh, so, that's, so that's just interesting. Um... But that was another character who was created uh, for DC. And, of course, there was Luke Cage over at Marvel. Now, I want to talk about these characters specifically, and actually even Black Panther here, because a thing I see all the time online, uh, whenever they gender, I mean, sorry, race bend a character, is just that... There's always this. There's always some white guys in the chat, or I should say, normally white guys, uh, in the chat who want to put forward that argument. It's like, oh man, but you know what? You say this is cool, but you know what? If this is cool that they're making the Human Torch black, you know, then maybe we should make Black Panther, or like, uh, maybe we should make other superhero, black superheroes white. How would you feel about that if we made Black Panther white, or uh, or uh? Oh my god, who was the superhero I just said? Um or Luke Cage or, or Black Lightning. What if we made what if we made them, you know, uh white, huh? How would that how would you feel about that? And you see, okay, so here's the thing about that argument, and this is, goes back to what I'm saying, is that we have this huge period of time where you couldn't even have black characters in comic books at all. Be, so so this is this thing. Like for a long period of time when you were making a superhero the question wasn't, oh, what race will it be? The que because that, re that, that question was answered by default. It was white, 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 white. And you just, you, you didn't stop to, writers and creators didn't stop to ask that question because they knew those comics weren't being published. So why even think about it? So all these characters were just written white regardless of what the deal was. But the thing is, so the thing is, is that all these characters were written white. And the thing about writing a character that is white in that manner is that you're not reflecting on the whiteness. So there's nothing about the characters that is necessarily inherently white. In fact, arguably, just as an example, Spider-Man, as many people have pointed out, 
could easily like a lot of his life experiences match certain uh, stereotypically African American life experiences, being raised by your aunt and uncle, uh, the part the part of the city he's from, uh, some of the stuff he does. It has been, like there's a line there's literally lines about this in the new Spider Man movie, and this is also literally the arguments that were put forth when it was briefly rumored that Donald Glover was going to play Peter Parker in the MCU. There's really no reason that these things couldn't be associated. There's no there's 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 lots of life experiences that have been pointed out in Spider-Man that could also be attributed to a black upbringing as well. And so that's sort of the thing about Spider-Man. Now let's look at some of these African-American superheroes that you say, well, what if they were white? And the problem becomes is that most of those characters, most of the black superheroes were written to reflect either black culture or black things. For example, Luke Cage is meant to be a reference to black exploitation cinema. So if we made Luke Cage white, then he really wouldn't be Luke Cage anymore. Core elements of his character would be totally erased by making him white. They just wouldn't be there. It just wouldn't function. The story of Black Lightning is completely different if he's white because the story of Black Lightning looks like this. The Black Lightning character is a school teacher who works in inner city schools to try and educate African American children. He wears a and he wears a fake afro when he goes out to to work to uh, when he goes out to be a superhero to to disguise his appearance. Later on, he is offered a position in the Justice League and he refuses it based on the fa based on the fact that they haven't done enough uh, for for black people and he rejects it based on the fact that he feels he is being uh, tokenized now the thing about that is none of those key features of those features of his character those major events in his story and life don't reflect the life of a white person. They reflect the life of of African American who's very dedicated to his community. Now, sure, you could have a white character whose whose job is teaching at an inner city school, but that's a very different both optic and message than the one that is represented in Black Lightning. It, it would it would be a very different story. Also, why is the white guy turning down the Justice League for no reason? I mean, think about it. Think about it. In fairness, and also in fairness to, uh, to Black Lightning's turning down the Justice League, in fairness, a major reason he was getting the nod and he called them out on this was that Green Lantern just really thought there needed to be a black... I mean, sorry, Green Arrow really was thought they needed to have more than just white people there, which is good for Green Arrow. <laughs> but also, yeah. Anyways, uh, the point is, is that you can't, is that 
making these black characters white would fundamentally erase core concepts of their character and would rechange the background and storyline of what they're doing. This is not necessarily true for most of the African-American characters, for most of the white characters who are bent to another race or African-American uh, races. Um, not technically African-American, but Aquaman is uh, played by a Samoan actor, and they play in some of the Polynesian aspects into his Aquaman, which does it not make sense. After all, Aquaman is of the ocean, and Polynesians and Samoans live on islands. It's not a huge stretch and doesn't dramatically alter his character with this. And uh, in the Fantastic Four, Michael B. Jordan played the Human Torch. And I will say, and the thing is, is that that also doesn't really change anything. Um, the the happy-go-lucky, the the, sm the smug jock on the Fantastic Four team is black. I, I don't think that's... It doesn't change anything about his character, really. I, I mean, how does being black erase any aspect of Johnny Storm? It, it, it doesn't. Because there's not really many superheroes who are written to reflect whiteness. And I'm not saying that that's good or bad. I'm just saying there's... I can't think off the top of my head of a character, a white character, whose race bend would dramatically alter their character. Um, so, like, look at uh, Deadshot in The Suicide Squad, played by Will Smith. I think he... I think he actually does... I actually like Will Smith in this role. I thought he did a good job. Um... Some people might point out that, well, in the comics, he's white. And I will say, this is one case where, well, yeah, I guess that does mean we can't do that one story. What one story am I talking about? Well, you see, there's a storyline where um, they just, where basically Deadshot ends up infiltrating a white supremacy group. Um, so I guess you couldn't do that story. I guess you couldn't do that story with, with, with the Will Smith Deadshot. Unless you want to do some, like, Black Klansman stuff, which maybe that'd be fun, too. I don't know. But I hope you understand the point I'm making here, though, is that the reason it's easy to race bend that way, white people into other races, is because white people are not... Wit Most white characters are not written to be reflective of whiteness. Sometimes you'll have white characters who are written to be reflective of, uh, say, Jewishness or, uh, or, or Irishness or Italianness or even Germanness. You might get a specific white ethnicity in there. But typically speaking, most characters are not written to reflect this more constructed view of whiteness. And that's why it's kind of okay to make white characters into non-white characters. My other argument for this is simply that we've had plenty of reboots where characters are dramatically changed. 
and yet for some reason and sometimes are very successful mainly the flash and green lantern have been uh rebooted and replaced numerous times and the thing about and some of those changes have been major the difference between barry and uh, barry allen and jay garrick are are monumental in terms of their characters and storylines and backgrounds so my question is of course is that if it's okay to change something such as the way you got your powers and your costume and your entire origin and maybe even some of the ways your powers work like what they changed with green green lantern between alan scott and and um hal jordan then you know if it's okay to change all those things it's a weird thing to then say that you think that things like race and gender and and sexuality should be off the table for reboots i'm just saying that's weird but let me give you a little bit more insight into a quick before we go a quick overview of some successful african-american superheroes that panned out after these time periods african-american superheroes by and large while companies have continuously tried to introduce them they typically have found most of their success in a team setting um, such as storm in the x-men the x-men itself has to be noted for its use of diversity when it became the uncanny x-men the team I'm sorry, was it New X-Men? Uncanny? No, it was Uncanny X-Men. Um, well, it was always called Uncanny X-Men. The point is, is that at a certain point, the team, the people writing X-Men changed, and when, with that change came in an exceptional amount of diversity, including make it a point, making it a point to have mutants on the team from other countries, uh, as well as from different races. Uh, Storm, who became the leader of the X-Men at this point, is in this this was during the 70s that's huge for an african-american character um to be get to be team leader so that was that's a major high point right there storm of course appeared as halle berry in in the x-men movies later on in terms of solo comics uh series this was a part this is a part where african-american comic books have tended to struggle a little bit more um with possibly the most um, longest-running African-American superhero comic um, that is still technically going, although it's worth noting that that superhero is technically a mantle, so there have been non-African-Americans who have also been that character in the run of that comic. Uh, But still, possibly one of the most well-known African-American superheroes is Spawn, at least in as he is when his mantle is on Al Simmons, the, the first Spawn to appear in the comic books. Um, now, to be fair, he even he is African American, but his skin has been basically destroyed, and he wears a costume like almost a hundred percent of the time. Um, but that being said, this is still possibly the longest uh, tenure of an ongoing African American comic book series that there has been. Um, Steel also found moderate success in the '90s. Uh, Steel was one of these. After Superman died, there were a number of characters who stepped into his void. One of them was the Man of Steel version of Superman, uh, a character called John Henry Irons, who's a 
essentially imagine if um, Iron Man was an African-American who, who created his suit because he was inspired by um, the life of Superman. Oh, also, he's not a billionaire. He's just a genius. Um, <clears throat> Steel, uh, still one of the most well-known and prominent African-American superheroes in, in DC. Uh, he also has a daughter who is also, I believe, called Steel at this time. Uh, but she may have had another name when they were both active. And also his character appears on Superman and Lois. <clears throat> the, the new Superman. Yeah, Superman and Lois. Not to be confused with Lois and Clark. The worst Superman. Anyways. So... And, uh, let's see here, Steel, I believe, ran for about 55 issues, um, which is considered a solid comic book run, if not, you know, as epic as having a continuously ongoing title that managed to succeed past issue 100. There, of course, also in the 90s was the creation of Milestone, which was a, um, a publisher specifically designed to publish African-American superheroes. Uh, this produced such characters as Icon and Static, who would later get a TV show and confuse the world by having it be called Static Shock and making everyone think his name is Static Shock, which, I'll be honest, it's, when, you, when you were introduced to the character by the cartoon, which I was, it's an easy mistake to make. Good cartoon, though, by the way. Although, racism doesn't stop in the 90s. That show was canceled because they didn't think that people would want to buy African-American action figures. Not making that up. That's what happened to Static Shock. Absolute fucking bullshit that that was done. God damn you toy companies. And your need to use cartoons to sell toys. It's a good show. There, of course, also were numerous other superhero African-American superheroes published in this time period, especially during the 90s when independent comics were becoming a big thing. <clears throat> Where was I? So yes, the 90s. The 90s, of course, were the, um, the boom and bust of the comic book market where speculators stepped in and basically ruined everything for everybody, although they did temporarily put comic books back on the map. But they put comic books back on the map for a bad reason, which was that they thought they could make money selling comics. Anyways, uh, collecting comics, that is. And, of course, we now live in a, a time period now. Oh, my God, I really, never really talked about how Jordan, I mean, not how Jordan, John Stewart. John Stewart, uh, the first African-American Green, Green Lantern, uh, came about in the, the 70s in the ish, in the pages of Green Arrow. I'm sorry, Green Lantern and Green Arrow. Um, Green Lantern and Green Arrow, I can't not talk about this. This is jumping back, but I have to talk about this. Green Lantern and Green Arrow was one of the first, um, well, if you don't count Jack Kirby, <laughs> was one of the early comics to actually start. Was one of the, somehow, Denny O'Neill and Neil Adams at, uh, at DC Comics convinced DC Comics that the way to go forward with Green Lantern and Green Arrow at the company was to turn them into a, a an ongoing series where they basically just talked about all the political things and whatnot going on in America. And part of these things was, was things like racism, the environment, uh, union busting, 
drug addiction, all that kind of stuff. And there's a that in one of the first issues, essentially, uh, Green Lantern comes down from the sky because he sees a bunch of people are just beating the shit out of this white guy. Uh, this white fat guy in the middle of the road. And he comes down, he, he fends off all the people, some of whom are minorities. And then Green Arrow steps out of the alley. He's like, hey man, what the fuck are you doing? And he's like, what are you talking about? Those people were beating this man up. And Green Arrow's like, no man, you don't understand. That piece of shit is a slumlord. And he's basically, he's basically, destroy, he's basically controlling these people's lives and, and fucking their shit up. And essentially, it turned into a whole conflict between Green Arrow and Green Lantern, where Green Arrow's like, man, you were out of touch with the people. You were just a giant fucking space cop. And, and Green Lantern eventually found out that Green Arrow was right about this dude who was a piece of shit. And Green Lantern had to side with Green Arrow on it. And one of the things in the comic that they featured in, in this run was a, was a scene where Green Arrow basically forces Green Lantern to talk to an old African-American gentleman. And the old African-American gentleman basically looks at Green Lantern and he's like, hey man, I heard how you work for the blue people. And then I heard how you helped out a bunch of orange people. But I, what I want to know is what have you done for us black people? And it's like, bam! White privilege checked right in Green Lantern's gut. And it's a powerful moment where Green Arrow forces Green Lantern to acknowledge his white privilege. And also, be a comic at the time that, you know, just generally speaking, featured African Americans in it. Because yes, even though the barriers were starting to break down in the 70s, especially thanks to Jack Kirby, it still wasn't normalized. And that's that's sort of the thing. It's important that stuff like this be normalized. You have to start getting used to the idea that the world is diverse. And we need more African-American superheroes. In fact, we need, because we need superheroes of every race, gender, and creed. It's important. And I see that a lot now. We've There's a lot more awareness of this. And there's, uh, there's a great comic book... Uh, DC's got another African-American uh, Green Lantern right now. Um, oh, my God. I'm going to fuck up the title of this book. It's such a good book, too. It's like, uh, I want to say it's Far Sector. Hold on. we got to find out. Is it Far Sector? It is Far Sector. Go read Far Sector. It's a good book. And, of course, in the MCU, they currently have uh, African-American Captain America, uh, which actually... Uh, that's a big deal. Um, Cat, uh, Falcon and the Winter Soldier is a great miniseries, and I 100% recommend it. Um, I will say, I mean, I, I, it's not. I have some criticism of it, at, but the, the it does the things that it needs to do. One, which are make me give a shit about Bucky and Falcon. Well, previously my least favorite Avengers, but after seeing this, it's like, oh yeah, no. Hawkeye is definitely the shittiest Avenger. But it's a good series, and one of the things it talks about is sort of the heritage, uh, the history of, of African-American involvement in, in government experiments and whatnot. 
And when you meet the first Captain America and he's black, it's it's just very powerful stuff. 100% recommend that series. Ugh. I am. I, it is. It is tragic to to sit here and 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 talk about this stuff and realize that I've I've largely spoken about white creators like Jack Kirby. But there are lots of of great African American creators out there. Also, uh, oh my God, if, that, I'm not fucking up anybody's names. We're, we're we're googling this to make sure I'm remembering the names right. Dwayne. Duffy. Oh, Dwayne McDuffie. Okay, yes, Dwayne McDuffie is a great creator of uh, African American. <laughs> I I will Google more names later. Um, but I do hope that um, you think about some of the things I've said, and I hope I've shared some some interesting history with you. Um, yeah, I'm all right. I'm just gonna fizzle out here now. Stay tuned for the after-show comedy. Okay, let me tell... Okay, hold on, hold on, hold on. Let me... Okay, you didn't let me finish. You didn't let me finish before you fired me, okay? Okay? All right? Before you fire me, hear me out here. It's not just the Superman costume. It's the death of the Superman costume right after he fights Doomsday. Get the fuck out of my office! <laughs> 